my first question for you, Blake, is elected to what? <laughs> like, are we talking local office? Are we talking that, federal office? Yeah, I actually, like, I, I what are we talking away. about? I figured I would clarify that. So, I mean, we could do this, all of the above. So this stems from. Uh, it was, you know, only a few weeks out of the uh, the last presidential election. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it kind of came up when I was around family a lot at dinner time. And I was, so I was like, hmm, I was wondering this. It tends to do with the, on the federal level. So it's the idea that, you know, picture that, you know, you get who you want in the executive. You get your majority. Like, it's not total control who you want in um, the legislative and the judiciary is just totally impartial. 50, 50, <laughs> and I know, right? Yeah. All right, so we're making a lot of uh, assumptions. Yes. Making a All lot right. of assumptions like here. We'll just you can get whatever you voted for done. What would be that first issue? Like, to address this now in this two year period where this is probably going to privatize prisons. Number one. That we could keep who, who was elected, like, pretty vague so that I could imagine that I was myself elected to Supreme Ruler of the United States. Well, will you be Yeah, present? sure. I, I think that's implied. <laughs> I think that's kind there'd of implied. Some, there'd be some kind of rules. I don't know what... Yeah. Okay, just, if we're I talking about like whoever you the want federal elected. Government. No, no. That, that's, that was <laughs> one caveat. Because I was like, well, they... There's pull, like you can't like rewrite the Constitution, which pull a which, pull a Robert Healy, run for uh, a yeah. run for lieutenant governor on the, on the platform of abolishing the position. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no constitutional convention number one. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but no, legitimately, if we're talking about like platform issues, yeah, um, pr- platform. Uh, private prisons would be gone in, in a second. That'd be my number one priority. Okay, so you... that's that's the number one. I think most like uh, on the face of it, like most like like the the worst thing that our federal government does is uh... I I really think it is it, like it, you could talk about foreign wars and stuff too. I think that's actually maybe a huge contender. So I might amend this statement, but like domestically, I think privatized prisons and everything implicated with that is one of the worst things that we do as a nation. Um, yeah, but, I, I could, I definitely think it's up there with some of the worst things that are done. Um, on a federal by, level. That, that, yeah, on a federal level that's allowed because it is, it is very fucked up. It is. So that like, that implies you know, the whole drug war that implies, you know, absolutely everything like all the that that involves like, you know, um, lobbying by these types of private corporations that like want laws that enable them to fill their prisons. Like. Mm. I think that's an ultimate harm that happens on the watch of our elected officials that is a is a pretty pointed like significant thing that it could like almost you could overnight almost flip a switch and change it how much what percentage of prisons are privatized Uh, that's a really good question i don't know i want to say it's a majority of federal prisons 
Since 2000, number of people in private prisons has increased to 33%. Uh, Twenty-one states with private prison contracts incarcerate more than 500 people in for-profit prisons. So it's, it's, I mean, like the, the difficulty Okay, it's only 8.4% of the U.S. prison population, apparently. That's the federal prison. No. Oh, federal. Representing 8%, I'm seeing, of the total state and federal prison population. Federal prisoners. No, state and federal. Oh, really? Yeah. And also, like... Oh, yeah, I see that now, too. Okay. I withdraw my statement. <laughs> um, uh, also, I'd like, like federal... But it's 2013, though. That is 2013. Like, let's see. The federal government has 151,893 inmates. Say that number again. 151,893. Damn. 12,007 of which are in privately managed facilities. So of the, you know, two and a half million prisoners in the United States, taking federal office and having your priority be to abolish the use of private prisons would remove 12,007 prisoners from for-profit See, I'm I'm seeing 133,000. Are where are you seeing that? State and federal prisoners housed in privately owned prisons. Right, but oh, so you're gonna you're gonna pass you're gonna pass a law that bans the use of private prisons. I see across the country. So you're gonna. This is actually really rocking my worldview because I really thought there was a much higher percentage of our prison population was. Uh, uh, housed in privately owned prisons, and yeah. that's apparently not the case. No, unless no, Google no. is shielding me from some kind of uh, Google. Google's the real private prison. Hey, yeah, Google. Hey, but, oh shit! <laughs> duck, duck, go for president. Duck, duck, go to jail. Do not pass go. <laughs> do, <laughs> do not collect two hundred dollars. <laughs> No, so man, I'm on free parking. Fuck y'all. <laughs> um, I for so for my answer to the question, I, I'm not all either an expert on all things revolving around it. Um, for for me, I think the first thing that should be addressed is voting. I I think everything. I would love to see two years spent around making voting easier and elections better and making it um, federally mandated that at least for uh, federal offices that voting be as as simple as possible, as convenient as possible for people and open as possible. And also if, if there is time with all of that to, you know, make any necessary changes to voting so that you could have um, 
better elections, like possibly introducing something like ranked choice, equal airtime for at the very least presidential candidates, um, including um, other parties into debates um, think, and things of that nature. I really feel that like if you you can't you can't do anything else you want to do on your list if you don't tackle voting and give people the ability to keep putting people back into office who share the same values of you. That's fair. Have you, um, have you heard much about HR one? No, I haven't. Or I think it's also S one as well. Um, there was a, have you ever heard, did, did, did we ever talk about the podcast congressional dish? I'm sure we've mentioned it here before. I think so. Um, but HR one is a bill that was introduced at the beginning of the 116th Congress and then reintroduced at the beginning of the 117th Congress. Um, and it has some pretty good provisions in it that would bulk up, um, voting rights in, in the U S it, um, it, let's see, it would require States to hold early voting. I'm reading from the, the, uh, internet science page. Um, the bill would require states to offer same-day voter registration for federal elections and to permit voters to make changes to their registration at the polls. It would require states to hold early voting for at least two weeks and would establish automatic voter registration for individuals to be eligible to vote in elections for federal office in the state. Under the automatic voter registration provision, eligible citizens who provide information to state agencies, including state departments of motor vehicles or public universities, would be automatically registered to vote unless they opt out of doing so. Bill would also expand opportunities to vote by mail and would make Election Day a federal holiday. Would require states to offer online voter registration, which has already been adopted in 39 states and the District of Columbia. Under the bill, states would be required to establish a system to allow applications to be electronically completed, submitted, and received by election officials, and to allow registered voters uh, to electronically update their voter registration information. The bill would establish criminal penalties for persons who corruptly hinder, interfere with, or prevent another person from registering to vote, and for voter deception or intimidation. Um, it would specifically prohibit knowing an intentional communication of false and misleading information, including about the time, place, or manner of elections, public endorsements, and the rules governing voter eligibility and voter registration made with the intent of preventing eligible voters from casting ballots. The bill would instruct the Election Assistance Commission to adopt recommendations for states on the prevention of interference with voter registration would also authorize 16 and 17 year olds to pre-register to vote in advance of their becoming 18. Um, uh, a 2019 proposal by representative Ayanna Presley to amend the bill to actually allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote did not succeed. Hmm. Um, also, a minor clarification though. I think context makes it clear. The 117th Congress is what we're in now. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So the HR one is the first bill introduced in the 117th Congress is what you're saying. I think yeah. HR is house resolution, right? Yeah. So the first. Yeah. But, in the 116th Congress. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which was re-upped. The first bill that started in the house in this Congress. Yes. HR. 
I think it stands for resolution, though. I like. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's. I don't think it's technically a bill until it goes to the Senate. Is it? Oh, I didn't even know that. I I'm, thought it starts as a bill. I and don't then... think that that's that's true. I, I, I think I think we need to. You need to watch Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah, right. I was like, <laughs> I am a bill. Uh, Smoking weed on Capitol Hill. Wait, I'm not sure that's how it goes. I mean, maybe yeah, more of them so do good. need to do that. I mean, he's he's a piece of paper rolled up. I thought that was the joke. He's a high. He's a joint. You know. <laughs> I don't know if that was the case, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. I think it's I I don't think it stands for house resolution because a resolution is different. Like a resolution is is it's different. It's different. It's different. I think it just stands it, for House of Representatives. I don't know if only we had a fucking lawyer on the podcast. <clears throat> Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> Better take that bar quick. Otherwise, help is your status here. I mean, I'm still licensed in California. Um, I'm just kidding, Joe. Though I do have some continuing legal education courses to complete in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think it just stands for House of Representatives 1 because like S1 is the corresponding bill in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And like a House resolution. The numbers don't always line up either. No, they don't. Because it depends where the bill started. Oh, okay. Um, something a little nitpick I'd like to see too. If we're going to make, uh, election day a holiday, I'd like it to see it be the first Monday in November, just cause I feel like it's easier for people. I don't know. That's just yeah. my thinking. Uh, I think that's, and, you know, idea. making it a three day weekend okay. makes it a lot simpler. Uh, seconded. Uh, I object. <laughs> you, All right. Uh, Joseph, uh, the representative from the- <laughs> from Brookline, has the floor for five minutes. Uh, so, so uh, a resolution. I've reclaimed my time. <clears throat> a bill is the. F- uh, here we are on the United States House of Representatives website. A bill is the form used for most Do legislation. The Robert's Rules of Order work here. Too? Point of order. Oh, just a website. Point of order. <laughs> Uh, a bill is a form used for most legislation, whether permanent or temporary, general or specific – or sorry, general or special, public or private. A bill originating in the House of Representatives is designated by the letters HR signifying House of Representatives, followed by a number that it retains throughout all of its parliamentary stages. Bills are presented to the president for action when approved in identical form by both the House of Representatives and the Senate. Um, joint resolutions – uh, so it's House of Representatives, not House Resolution. Right. And um, there's also like a, a resolution that is passed by the House is abbreviated H-Res, followed by a number. And You know, that's a little confusing. Second point of order. Let's change that. <laughs> so if mm-hmm. I were the Supreme Leader, I All would right, so it's change gonna be it. H- the bills from the house are going to be numbered are going to be numbered H1 through infinity from the senate S1 through infinity and um resolutions are HR and SR 
I second. Do the <laughs> I have it? Damn it. No. No. <laughs> I seconded. No. No. Do you object? I object. All right. I yield five minutes of my time to the representative from my asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, I yield my time. Anyways, no, uh, what is it? What's the word? Uh, I yield my t- no, 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 no. I, uh, I reclaim my time. Fuck you. You can't talk. Um, I'm in charge here. I'm the supreme ruler. Remember, <laughs> I'm in charge here. <laughs> I'm in charge here. Um, but yeah. Anyways, um, HR one for the People Act is the 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 other title, um, and uh, some good stuff. Can we all yeah. just say also that uh, these acts often have stupid names that don't actually mean what they say? Um, you know, like the Patriot Act or whatever. Like Obamacare, damn Obamacare. it. <laughs> the who, CARES who wrote Act. that down? <laughs> what about the... Uh, uh, wait. Oh, there are a lot of stupid ones. I'm sure if we dug, we could find some really like good gems. Uh, reducing Americans' vulnerability to ecstasy act. Seriously? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, that didn't take me too long, right? No, not too what long. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 somebody drugs, spent right? somebody spent time on that. Yeah, do you want to know who, rave you, act? You want you want to know who did? Seriously? You want to know who did? You want to know who did? Nixon? Biden. <laughs> Oh, man, fuck him again. (laughs) (laughs) Along with Chuck Grassley, Orrin Hatch, Joe Lieberman, Strom Thurmond, Patrick Leahy, and Dick Durbin. So, you know, some names that are still in the Senate. One of them is the president now. One of them is the president. Um, Did you know Joe Biden has been trying to cut Social Security for years? Mm-hmm. We all know that. Yeah, everything's on the table. You gotta, you gotta balance the budget because I, I don't understand how governments work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's no reason why you know we couldn't take a single fucking penny out of the seven hundred billion dollar military budget we've got. Whoa, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, that's don't available. Talk about that. That's jeez, Louise. That's what the, are we going to do? In fact, it probably needs more. If anything, it needs a little more money. Am I right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, who's, who's going to buy them? Who else is going to buy, uh, you know, uh, sh- shitty, uh, American made, uh, hammers. Right. You know, a lot of that military budget goes toward, uh, uh, supporting yeah. shit ass suburban towns filled with crew cut haired, Thumpers. <clears throat> Whoa, Joe. <laughs> Just kidding. And the industry is, is distributed throughout the whole country in a pretty smart way. Like, uh, like defunding the military industrial complex essentially would, would, would affect jobs everywhere, you know, in Rhode Island. Yeah. Electric yeah. Um, in, in pretty much every state there's the same and, argument that you hear in Rhode Island about, well, electric boat makes good jobs and, you know, electric boat is part of the nuclear modernization that's happening right now, started under the Obama administration. And, uh, that same type of argument you'll find all over the country, um, sort of working class people will push, push back against it because 
since World War II, there's been, or not quite that long, but just about. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I think it like to some degree was involved, like World War II was in, involved, you know, like. Yeah, post-World War II was like, I mean, because it's the Cold War, right? So military industrial, the military industrial system sort of went from uh, like industry that was transformed to make military equipment to an industry in and of itself. Um, and also yes. the CIA was born um, out of, inspired by British intelligence and like it, the whole, it all sort of exploded and started from, from there. Whereas before it was more um, like a transient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what are the now, differences uh, between the origins of the CIA and the origins of the FBI? The FBI is, is much domestic. older. The CIA has a really interesting origin story. I've started and not finished a couple times a book, actually, which I think I have. Um, That's not be a great book. It's pretty good. Yeah. I just have been too busy. Um, uh, Legacy of Ashes, it's called, and it's about how the CIA came to be. Um, it's It's got a sordid and sort of hilarious history, like um, – generals tried to keep the intelligence like military generals tried to keep the intelligence operations post-world war ii alive um there was a president who basically said like we're not doing this we're stopping this program but one of the military generals in secret like against the witches of the executive branch like secretly kept the cia going it had a different name then but um and there's all sorts of things like that the oss I think so, yeah. And just this it's just this chaotic, messy system huh. that that like sort of when you start reading about how it came to be, the consequences of it feel more predictable. Like, because otherwise it's like how like why in the world would um like the CIA be like throwing over throwing Overthrowing. government overthrowing governments for a banana company you know it's like it seems it seems ridiculous but once you start learning the history a little bit it's it's all this chaotic sort of semi-funded sometimes unfunded funded by wall street or, chaotic or, disaster or, or you know sale of of drugs yeah yeah and and it all starts off with this like wacky general who was like known for failure basically <laughs> and like the u.s intelligence system was kind of like a laughing stock offshoot of the british intelligence system which was much more developed what the okay so all right uh the fbi was begun in 1908 um uh, okay so fine so, Attorney General Bonaparte, huh? Um, hmm. Using Department of Justice expense. Bon- Bonaparte. Um, Bonaparte. Uh, something that I didn't know, but you know, I knew obviously. You know, pivotal figure in the FBI. You know, what's the name? Who's the name? Who's the guy? The the FBI Hoover. guy Hoover. He was this FBI director from. 
24 to 1972. Holy crap. I did not. I knew. that. Oh, my God. Yeah. And just as a fun CIA fact, if you had to get, why don't you all guess when the last known assassination attempt by the CIA was of Fidel Castro? Uh, 2012. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to guess 2008. This kind of ruined the fun, but it was 2000. Uh, it was 2000. Uh, okay. See, Sorry. the thing is, is when you ask questions, <laughs> when you ask questions like that, it like leads us to like, oh, it must be much sooner. And so we, you know what I mean? Like, I you got so. You got to way, way sooner than I would have thought. I would have guessed like right, the but 90s, it, the latest. Right. But if I, if I, was that the up, one with the exploding cigar? Well, no. Maybe, it was, for all I know, maybe it was a trick question and they, they killed him. That's how he actually died. They secretly killed him. They, so it was whenever he died. What did he die? Like a year or two ago? 2016. 2016. Yeah, yeah. He, he died. Kind of, yeah, sure, yeah. Four, four and a half years ago. Four and a half years ago. He died. It's the start of getting older. It's like time. Also, I feel like the past four years have been real weird. Yes. They're, yeah. They've been a bit of a blur. But that, I mean, that might also just be getting older. Like, you know. Like... And part of it, too, is school, I think, plays into it when you're in school, because I was in school then. And I know you were, you were in school then as well, Joe. So it just makes just makes things go by way faster, I find. At least for yeah. me, it did. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean. Nightmare. Yeah. But 48 years? 48 years? Six, that is that's corruption. That's wild. That's All of insane. the intelligence and in, in like law enforcement systems in the U.S. are I can't believe corrupt. that. I actually um, interesting movie that just came out. Have you guys uh, heard or seen um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah? No, no. It's all. Uh, it's about. Um, it's about a sting operation, or. Not a sting operation, but it's about the guy. It's about the informant for the CIA on um, who was informing on Fred Hampton, who was the uh, the prominent Black Panther leader in the Illinois section of the Black uh, Black Panther Party. Yeah, he was and he was on trial. Was Wasn't he put yeah. on trial um, for the same? Uh, you know, there's that. Uh, Aaron Sorkin movie, the trial of the Chicago seven. Was it? I, I don't know. That makes sense though. If it was in, in, if it was in Illinois around then. He was drugged, shot and killed in his bed during a pre-dawn raid at his Chicago apartment by a tactical unit at the Cook County state's attorney's office in conjunction with the Chicago police department and the FBI. Sprayed more than 80 gunshots uh, throughout the apartment. The occupants fired once. Yeah, and uh, they the the movie doesn't play around with their depiction of of Hoover either. They they really try to portray, portray him as this um, you know this racist sycophant who is specifically targeting um, the Black Panther Party, seeing them as a uh, the the number one menace to America. Yeah. 
Well, wasn't the Black Panther Party what initiated the um, liberalization, quote unquote, of gun laws in California? I think they. I thought it increased gun laws in California. Well, that that's what I mean. Uh, yeah, liberal. You know. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, American liberalization. Yeah. Uh, maybe uh, a poor word choice it, on my part, but mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, uh, I, think I it's mean, it's a good it's... word choice in a way because I think it cuts <laughs> through the illusion of the like classic liberal being or the a ne- the sort of neoliberal being uh, like not being racist. Yeah, I meant that. I meant that ironically. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, Go smoke your but... vape. <laughs> you know I smoke American spirits. <clears throat> No, I do. You don't. <laughs> hand rolled. Hmm. Hand rolled. American spirit. God, no, it's not 2016, guys. Let's relax. <laughs> when I was in college, I would hand roll tobacco into cigarettes and sprinkle keef on it, and be like, "Yeah, I'm smoking a spliff." <laughs> that counts as a spliff. <laughs> It has the necessary ingredients. It does, yeah. but it's like, man, that's that's a pretty crazy spliff. <laughs> so, Tyler, outside the Memorial Union, just um. So, what is what's your answer to the question, Tyler? What would um what would your number one number? Sorry, what would be your number one thing on the agenda in your ideal government? It's hard. I mean, so if, if I think the first thing that I would do in, <laughs> you can't, you, you can't abolish the government the first without thing that abolishing I would do, the government. Yeah. Would, no, would be, no, would be possible under the current system would be to immediately collate and publish a list of all of the Enemies covert of the- operations that resulted in violence or overthrown governments everywhere in the world. I would find out as much as I could about what the U.S. has done, and I would publish it all. Just declassify. Declassify fucking everything. That would be the closest I could get to my true goal, which is to dismantle the U.S. government. <laughs> Uh, satire, satire, in parody, parody. <laughs> in the game, I would only ever do it in non-violent. Yeah, things. I want to dismantle the U.S. government via governmental process, legally, not by <laughs> violence. Yeah, yeah. I know. I do not. No shots fired. In any shape or form. But I. But even regardless of that, as an impact, I think people. I think that would be a way to get people to realize the depth of um, the true nature of our government, government, sort of dispel the myth of benevolent hegemony. Um, Yeah, I mean, I mean, we put on airs about that in in the U.S., but like, like we're by far not the only country that does that sort of thing. No, but we're probably the most dangerous in the world. Yeah, I mean, just Post by nine eleven, just by forty million you know, people have virtue of the fact that we put more money 
into it. Yeah, and they're just more violent and have a, like a stronger, yeah, we're more powerful and use that power in terrible ways. I mean, I think there's sure. more countries impacted than not impacted by violent U.S. foreign policy. Pretty much every country in Central and South America, most countries in the Middle yeah. East, most countries in Africa. I mean, the only ones that it's bow to the will of the U.S. and it's, you know world trade system buddies or get fucked yeah i'd be interested to see too the uh what the globe how they would react uh seeing the u.s go through that kind of transformation and how the the movements that it might spark for people to learn the secrets of their own governments and i mean kind of classify i think the funny thing is is that my impression, uh, you know, it's you know, not that I have particularly reliable information on this, uh, but my impression is that the people no throughout people throughout the world are much more aware of the atrocities of the, the committed by the American government than Americans are generally. Oh, by I, feel, I feel like they, if but it's like. They know what happened to them. They don't necessarily know. Like, if you live in in a in Iraq, you might know what happened to you, but you're not going to know about the possibly the you know the, the Banana Republic situation. You might not know the subtleties of that, but you have an idea of like what they're capable of. Yeah, perhaps. I'm not. I'm. I'm not even sure of that. Like, I. My, you know, my uh, experience with Brown War Watch, which as you all know, and the few listeners that we have probably know by now is a pro-peace anti-war group I'm involved in at Brown University. And it brings in people from all over the world. Uh, Europe, the Middle East, Latin America, um, mostly those places. Not a ton of people from Africa, but some. Uh, There's a person... Anyways, people from all over the world. Um, And most of the people, and it could be the people that the group attracts too, but the people that come from other countries tend to have a better, more knowledge about what the U.S. does on the world stage, even more broadly than how it just affects uh, their nation. It seems mm-hmm. to be that the people from the U.S. and Europe too have more of, and I could be wrong about this, that I'm generalizing a little bit, but the people from like Western Europe and the U S tend to have a more uh, like insular like less broad and more uh, self-focused understanding of history than people from everywhere else. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's also like, you know, there's all sorts of filters happening. Yeah. You know, between that university, it's, it's people that come to a pro peace anti war group. Um, yeah. But any like still, so, I think that there's there's definitely a, a kernel in there. Yeah. And yeah. And and I but I do feel too. There's a lot of uh, you know, there's a lot of um, countries that they're they're kept secret to a lot of things uh, that their government has done. Like uh, I think. I listened to this Radio Lab a long time ago where 
they were talking about how the British government has this special vault somewhere in Africa that's guarded by soldiers that houses all this classified documents that talks about some of the most messed up stuff they've done um, in their history, like like the 1800s or 1700s or something like that. And, and um, I can't imagine that, you know, the Japanese education system is teaching anything about much about like all the kinds of atrocities that they committed mm. over over the years. Like like some horrible stuff was done. Yeah. Um done by them. And I I I would not be I would be very surprised if uh most of what they've done is is uh, a common part of the curriculum. In the same way that like you don't really get into the um american indian genocide that happens in in our upbringing it's kind of very glossed over you like you kind of know there's some bad things happen yeah you learn you you learn about about thanksgiving yeah i wonder if that's changed at all since we've been in high school because you know i think it has yeah 10 years but i i I get the feeling that it may have changed a little bit And, Um, and and i and we learned some stuff like joe i don't know if you we were in the same u.s history class at one point and Actually, multiple points. Yeah. But in seventh grade, we did learn about several stories about um, just certain stories about during this uh, westward expansion and things that happened to different Native American groups. Um, Manifest destiny. Like there is this one story about this guy was got a bunch of tribes together and he was like, listen, we're going to be pushed out of our land. So let's leave on our own terms and we're going to go to Canada. And he got all these people together and marched them to Canada to, towards Canada. And they were like, after watch, marching like hundreds of miles or something, they were like a, a few dozen miles away from the border and they were stopped by the U.S. military and then sent to a reservation that they designated for them rather than let, giving them their own chance to have, uh, you know, autonomy. Yeah. I mean, wow. Well, the, that must have been late enough in U.S. history that there was like a fucking border. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was seventh grade. We learned that. Yeah, and I mean, there was always like there was a border, but like what? I don't well, know. I mean, there's. No, there was... I mean, I mean, talk about early stages of colonizing the West. Like, there was plenty of time before there was any like border with Canada. Like there wasn't even a border with the Mississippi at certain points when parties were moving out west. I mean, there might not have been like a like a like a very well defined geographic border, but you know, the the, like I think people if it was before before, military was out there. Making borders though was a very common. It was like a it was a pretty common thing to do back then. Like a lot of the you know founding fathers like one of the things jobs they've done or almost like hobbies would be like marking out borders because you're essentially going on like an extended hike where you're literally going and you know do you you ever see how they make borders back then no they they have like like literally like it's like three guys and a rope and one guy who has this little scope to make sure they're traveling in the right direction and they kind of just like they're going and they're just marking 
the path as they go along. It's, it's not perfect by any stretch. That's why there's some border disputes that happened, obviously. But like a lot of those hand-drawn maps, if they weren't just, you know, even if they were straight lines, a lot of them were charted in some physical way. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just saying that like we're, if we're talking about, you know, giant uh, groups of um, American Indians saying like, you know, uh, I see a lot of uh, folks colonizing this area. We don't want to dispute. We're just going to like move the hell out of here from the areas that they're colonizing. It's surprising to me that there existed a group that was like at that stage willing to do that. But then also the colonization of the West of the United States was so far developed that, um, you know, there was like border patrol to send them back. You know, yeah. I, oh, yeah. That's interesting sure. that like those two things can exist. Like, cause the, right, but it doesn't the, necessarily yeah, mean that it like was... a giant group of people just saying like, we're going to walk away from this weird shit that we're seeing. That seems like such an old idea of living and the idea of like enforcing a border like that, especially within the confines of like just us history seems like and especially like Western U S history. That seems like, that was like a weird crossroads of time. You right. Know, like that must've been, that could have been like post civil war, you know, like U S civil war. Right. And but I'm thinking, I'm thinking that those things would converge. Yeah. I don't think that it was like this, there's a border patrol where these troops are stationed generally. And then this, this group of, of, um, Native Americans came across them and were turned back. It's much more likely that there was in, like intelligence that this group was moving and then communication right, off. and then communication between the Canadian or if it was, you know, earlier the British government and the in the American government to make a decision about what to do. And that right. decision was ultimately to head them off and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, you know, like a caravan coming from the uh, Central uh, American nations or something. Right. Along those lines where, you know, you I, just, I, I you just pressure the, the other country to, to, you know, stem the tide, as it were. Right. I do want to make a disclaimer, too. I use... The term, I'm not saying that it's wrong, like what you guys are saying was wrong. I just don't want to, if someone is listening, I don't want them to think ill of me. I did oh, purposely we're wildly use, speculating, Blake. Did, <laughs> I did purposely use the term American Indian because there are many Native Americans who don't like the phrase Native Americans yeah. because it encompasses all Native people in both the North and South American continent. Whereas they feel that Indian is used to describe people within the confines of the U.S. Right. And I mean, it was also no, that's that's what I learned too. American Indian is is what I understand to be the most widely accepted appropriate term. Yeah. So that's so. And while, while you know, I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with using Native American. I know that like I don't like I don't want people to be like use Indian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How dare he? Yeah. No, American Indian is different. Also, there. Yeah, it's. It's I think American it's, Indian is the correct term. Yeah, I mean it it depends on what you mean by correct and like 
Yeah. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's difficult. Like the, probably the like most correct would be to, to individually name, uh, tribes based on their self-identification, but that's, I think beyond the scope of our knowledge or ability. And I, and it's sometimes it's easier, you know, it's like if you go to Pequot country, you know, if you go to, you, you go to Pequot reservation or the Crow reservation out West, like generally speaking, everyone there is going to be of that descendant. Um, like, I feel like if you're in the North East, you could say Algonquin because, you know, many of the people in, you know, the lower Canada, Northern Going to the Midwest, they all spoke Algonquin. Well, a lot of anyways tribes spoke Algonquin, so you could possibly use that to describe them. Like, we use English. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, I just, there's a lot. I just there's... mean to say that, like, what, what's widely, um, and we don't need to keep this all on the podcast, I guess. But uh, what, what's the the term Native American that's widely used, like, you know, in the forty nine or the forty eight contiguous states as uh you know to talk about like the native peoples of like that area um of that uh um group of um american indians widely have decided you know like as as evidenced by like the names of their national nationally recognized organizations where they say like we're like the you know the organization of american indians they choose that terminology over native americans intentionally um, as Blake was saying, because Native American is talking about like many cultures that are like v- even more widely dispersed than just you know the the cultures dispersed across you know the forty eight contiguous states as they are today. You know it's like very different. And so like if you're going to like group them all together um, to say Native American is to kind of like you know dissolve it a little bit, and American Indian is a little more specific. I, I like what Canada uses. They use uh, First Nations mm-hmm. to describe uh, their native. I, I always like that term. I didn't learn about it till I went to um, Vancouver, and they had some, you know, some stores there with uh, First Nations art displayed. I was like, I like that. Yeah, that's a cool one. I've Cut this been, all out, Blake. We're I've, probably being so politically incorrect right now. We don't yeah. even know. <laughs> fucking idea. Well, we can do I'm, is uh, our best. We're doing our best. And, and learn when <laughs> and make it and make it to learn our eyes. And make it clear that, like, you know, obviously we mean no harm, like, or like, no, we're we're trying our best like, to understand. No, <laughs> I kind of want to change my answer to the question. Go right ahead. What's your what's your changed answer? Nothing said. Stone. I think I already want to change mine too, but I think a more like an hour thing to do would be to immediately return to the Iran nuclear deal. Okay. Word is is that happening? I thought that was happening. Or no, not really. Uh, There's been a few sort of developments like. Basically, Iran was like, if you return to the deal, we'll return to the deal to the U.S. And uh, basically, Biden, they, a few other countries sort of wanted to get involved, like Saudi Arabia, who's one of Iran's sort of regional enemies. So it's sort of like bringing, you know, that is not going to appeal to Iran. It's sort of a non-starter. 
and they don't want to start renegotiating anyways. Basically, the U.S. at first was like, yeah, we'll return to the deal. And then was actually then was like, oh, actually, well, let's re- renegotiate a new deal um, and let's bring some of your enemies into the a green new deal. No, a, a new Iran deal. New deal. A new. Uh, uh, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm making jokes. Oh, oh. I didn't. I can't tell sometimes. Anyways, <laughs> ouch, <laughs> ouch, <laughs> got him. It's oh, it's uh, <laughs> it's not me. It's you. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> but it yeah, sure I think that would be more constructive because it would also it would have other effects too, like, um, in everything's enmeshed, like, uh, Iran in. They, in Russia, were sort of on one side of the Syrian conflict while we are on the other uh, with Israel. So, you know, I think uh, I think repairing relationships with Iran would also start a process, could sort of kickstart a process whereby um, our relationship with um, Russia could be improved, which is really bad right now. Um, and our... You know, maybe there would be some pressure to start putting pressure on Israel and say, like, you can't have the largest open air prison in the world and you can't just bomb other countries when you feel like it, which they do. Um, There would be all sorts of when we shouldn't be doing that either. I mean, I think I think it could sort of I think it would be the first step. I think returning to the Iran nuclear deal is the first step to any real meaningful um, fixing of. Like, you know, so like right now also, I'm not saying this very well, but right now also um, Russia, China basically, and the U.S. are sort of in a new Cold War. Like everyone's mm-hmm. modernizing their nuclear arsenal. Um, and this was kick-started. I mean, it's, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, but I would argue by the Nuclear Modernization Act that passed under the Obama administration, which is like a 1.5 or something trillion dollar program that was to that is still in effect, which was meant to modernize the U.S. nuclear arsenal um, over a period of, uh, I can't remember how long it was supposed to be, 15 years or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a Cold War going on, basically, where nuclear modernization is occurring across the world in, in Russia and the U.S. Um, China's sort of bolstering their military as well. Like the the... And in order for all of that to stop, I think the first thing is to return the, nu- the nuclear. Now, so, do you feel so you that? Be- um, well, uh, I'm going to ask a real basic question, and it's mostly yes or no. Um, so if you've got a more uh, pointed question, Blake, do you mind? Yeah, I mean, I got a basic okay. question, too, so you can go first. Okay. Um, do you feel that the steps that the U S is currently taking toward like, you know, entering the nuclear deal is essential or do you feel like it should have just been reentered as it was exited? Um, Oh, it should have absolutely just been reentered. I mean, Iran followed all the rules of the nuclear deal. It was just Trump coming in saying, Nope, fuck that. So do you think that the steps are being taken now to include, you know, maybe some of, uh, Iran's, you know, uh, adversaries and, um, you know, roughing up that uh, relationship. Do you think that that is a good step as well? Or do you think that the steps are being taken are kind of, you know? No, I mean, this is the classic way of, of the 
two-party system from my perspective is that the Republicans do something, the the Democrats hang hand ring over it having happened, but mm-hmm. really use that to their benefit to basically put forward the essentially a, the same foreign policy uh, yeah. as the Republicans. So like it, they're using this, it seems to be the fact, it seems to be that they're both out of one side of their mouth trying to say like, oh, it was so terrible that Trump did this, like this never should have happened. But now that it's now that it's happened, well, we're not going to just return to the deal. We're going to basically create non-starter conditions that guarantee Iran's not going to come to the table um, and not have a nuclear deal and not and, you know, bolster the military industrial complex in, in in both like arming systems like Cold War type systems and also just like the potential for actual violence. I mean, the fact that we didn't go to war with Iran after assassinating one of their top generals is is a testament to the restraint of Iran. Like yeah. most countries would go to war if one of their I mean, imagine what the US would do if one of our military top military officials yeah, and like major major yeah. figure in their governing system Right. was assassinated by a foreign country like mm-hmm. the, and yeah. and, so and with with no question like Iran not even like uh who did it you know it's like no we we did this. we accept responsibility <laughs> yeah. and and like you like they in and so it would have been understandable really for iran to say no we're not going to return to this deal but they even so they said look if you return to the deal when the biden administration comes to office if you return to the terms of the deal, we will return to the terms of the deal. Like, basically offering to forgive and forget that, I mean, not forget, but to to look past this gross overstepping. I mean, there was no declaration of war. It's not, you're not supposed to be able to just kill foreign leaders with impunity. This, yeah. is, this is something that yeah. only the largest nations in the world are allowed to do by virtue of basically sitting on the National Security Council. Like, I, internet, the... Yeah. By virtue of what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and so even so, I mean, it runs this large nation, powerful military, like yet not as powerful as the U.S. Sure, but it, like it wouldn't have been like the Iraq War. You know, it would have been a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's just it, it seems like there's there was no good reason not to return to it other than Biden trying to pop like make himself look like this cowboy character you know trying to build off of the same type of attitude that made trump popular like no like i'm gonna do like i'm gonna be a strong man and fuck around china yes i'm gonna stand up to china like it's ridiculous and and, i mean he's he's talking shit to everybody like he just in when he met with putin he called putin a murderer to which putin (laughs) responded actually uh something that apparently loosely translates to i know you are but what am i <laughs> um, nice yeah Got so, i mean the situation right now is pretty bad with uh, um yeah. so I i'll would, be completely so, honest i've been paying a hell of a lot less attention you mean you haven't been having news of what's going on in the federal government being screamed at you from all sides since I Biden suppose that's office. more true. Yeah, I guess. Who's surprised? Social media. <laughs> I just follow um, foreign just, stuff. So Tyler, um, would you say that kind of um, 
the answer to your question would be easing geopolitical tensions with, with starting with the Iran deal and hoping to create a domino effect. Yeah, exactly. Kind of make the world a more peaceful place. Yeah, I would do that. And I would also probably call, like, if I could do multiple things, I'd immediately return to the Iran deal. And then I'd call Putin and be like, let's re-sign a deep proliferation, a nuclear deep proliferation agreement. Boom. Sure. Immediately. Sure. Because sure. Russia would have said that they want to do that, too. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that needs to happen. Joe, do you have an answer to the question? Yeah. Do you have anything to say, Joe? What do you yeah. have to say for yourself? Um, trains. Nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> massive, yeah. massive infrastructure project that uh, creates a meaningful high-speed rail in the United States. Um, maybe... N- like New York to LA, um, you know, I mean, it's not going to be, you know, like a fast trip, like planes are going to be much faster, but like, you know, we could, let's like, what if, what if, could we do 300 miles an hour? Like probably. Would you go straight from New York to LA or would you stop these in between or? I mean, you got to stop in St. Louis. Yeah, it goes right through the arch. <laughs> right through the arch. <laughs> um, no, I mean you'd have stops. You'd have stops, um, and it would be it would like be a network. It's not just a you know, like not oh, just a. Not well, see, not, Joe, so actually, just, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's got this figured out already. Going straight. From- Sorry, what were you saying, Blake? In that Blake first. Not just a rocket boy tube going no. straight from New York to LA. No, 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 no. Um, high speed rail network, but not only a high speed. Right, so Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene's already got got this figured out, Joe. Don't say this. <laughs> what? What does she? What? Big rocket Which, battery boy does too. I'm I'm pretty hey, sure. Hey. I'm pretty sure, according to her book, that uh, it might not have not even. She be... didn't write a book. Oh yeah, it's right out of her book. Um, she knows that uh, Soros owns a space laser, and that's why all the wildfires in California happened because he was trying to clear the way for a big infrastructure for the, project for the high speed rail. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. The, so, the Jewish space so, laser. Yeah, we need to we need to employ the Jewish <laughs> the Jewish space laser, <laughs> and we just clear out all of that corn and bullshit happening in the Midwest. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, all, that's what all of us are us liberals are working toward, right? That's right. That's for right. the Jewish uh, space laser to just like take it all out so we can do our infrastructure projects. That's right. You, know, you wouldn't need to take any of that out if you went through a giant tube. Yeah, but what? I mean, we don't. Like, but what are we going to do with our giant Jewish space laser? <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to. Gonna point it outward as a uh, galactic defense weapon. <laughs> all right, but no, no, no. All right, all right, all right. High speed, tr- high speed rail network that also um, includes just absolutely 
massive, massive electrical transmission capacity. Oh, that's cool. That's smart. So like you run – it's one project where you, you run the trains but also put in like four or five times the current ne- necessary transmission. You just fucking go all out. You say we're, we don't – like you do studies that say we use this much and we need this much and you just triple, quadruple it. Just say, no, we're building not for what we use, but for what we could use or should use. Yeah, it's like all those houses built in the like late 1800s that had electrical outlets lining the walls all the way around at like six inches on center. Right. They're just ready for you to plug all the shit in. Plug it all in. Fucking plug everything in. Yeah. And what? Then, uh, what's, oh, sorry. Yeah. Never seen that in a really old house that, like, at like hip level, like all the way around. There's like this time, this little strip with like just a bunch of plugs, and you're like, "What the fuck were you doing in like 1895 with all these electrical outlets?" Am I the only one here? Yeah, you're the only. I've one. never seen that. You've never yeah. seen like a really old house. Our uh, our three listeners know what I'm talking about. I mean, like, do you think that those plugs are original, Jim? I have evidence to believe so. (laughs) (laughs) Show me the evidence. Show me the papers. The evidence is a vague memory of a uh, (laughs) PBS show uh, I watched when I was seven years old. No, no, no. I'm just a bill. It's a vague memory of a like uh, a tour that I took with like a third grade class or something. Where were you taking the tour? It was... Uh, you know, I don't remember. It was a dream, buddy. It was a dream. <laughs> Maybe. So what... So before we wrap up, uh, Jim, what's your, your new answer to the question? Oh, mass incarceration should just end all of that. Drug war. So abolish prisons. Yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, probably, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much is the, uh, the, long, the long-term answer. But um, the drug war situation should just be over. People shouldn't go to jail for possessing drugs. All of those charges should be dropped, and everybody that is in jail for a simple possession should be released immediately. Get some reformations. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's my amended answer just because I thought, uh, abolishing privatized prisons would like essentially do that. But apparently that's not the case. Nope. Most of them are run by democratic governments and mm-hmm. most of them are run by the States, you know, those local organizations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to, and that's just... the end of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing uh, final sentences? Oh, I just did mine. 
I uh, okay. I'll do a different final sentence. Um, uh, yeah, there's I usually this probably big wrong introduction. About most things I said today, and that's just how it is. Burning down the house, the Bonnie Rate cover is my current favorite song. Nice. I'd like election day to be the first Monday of November and a holiday so that we can get three day weekends after Halloween sometimes. Outro music. <laughs> <laughs> you wasted your last sentence. Hmm. Die.